And so if you guys want to connect with Stacy and your little person, please feel free. Yeah, Lily's already, she's already in class. She's preparing her, uh, I'm still, still got something going on. I wonder if it's this, uh, this monitor right here. Yeah, I was going to turn it, but he said to unplug it, so I unplug it. Yeah, I think, I think I was picking up that monitor. It's cool. All right, y'all, let's turn to Romans 14. Hallelujah. Anybody enjoy Peter last Sunday? Peter was good, amen? Love Peter. It's good to see him, and we haven't seen him in a while, and uh, I appreciate what he shared, and really appreciate just the prophetic that he flowed in, because I, I know you guys, and I know those words that he was sharing were real accurate, and so that was a real... Real blessing, man. Uh, the, the, the gifts in the body of Christ, man, are powerful. They're so important. But Romans chapter 14, and uh, we're going to continue in this uh, series on joy. And um, we've uh, just been in it for a little bit. I'm going to do just a little bit of a, re a review. Uh, I've really felt real strong that uh, the joy of the Lord was going to return to the body of Christ. And uh, we, we've been focusing on that, been looking at that. And, uh, you know, just been learning about that. And the joy of the Lord is our strength. And uh, I, I believe with, with all of my heart that God wants to restore strength to his body and uh, to give us joy. I do think that the body of Christ has dealt with uh, some sorrow concerning the state of the world and concerning uh, kind of the way things have been in the world. And, um, and I, I do think that, you know, nobody rejoices in evil and some of the things that have been happening, and so I, I think there was a time for that, but I think that that transition out of mourning, God is bringing that into our lives, and he's flooding our hearts with strength. And uh, in Romans chapter 14 and verse 17, this has been our springboard verse, it says, For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. And so uh, the kingdom of God is within us, and the kingdom of God is where our stability comes from. Uh, we don't want our stability coming from the political system. Or can we shut the, that door back there, please? We don't want the kingdom of God coming from the political system. Uh, we don't want the kingdom of God necessarily coming from the state of the world, or our stability coming from the state of the world. We want our stability coming from His kingdom. And so, um, and one third of the kingdom is joy. And so, you know, and that's something we probably haven't focused on as much. I focused on the righteousness aspect of it. I focused on the peace aspect of it. And now I feel like God is really focusing on the joy aspect of it. Um, but in order for the kingdom to, be, to function, uh, we'll do just a little bit of a review here. It's righteousness, peace, and joy. Um, how many know that, and we talk about this all the time, but we have to continue to, how many know Jesus is the cornerstone, right? Jesus is the foundation. And how many know that you're right with God because you believe in Jesus? Not because of something that you do, not because of something that you don't do, your salvation is faith in Jesus Christ. And so your right standing with God is based on believing in Jesus. Now, when you know that you're right with God and you know that your rightness with God is based upon faith and not your behavior, then you have peace. If you think that your rightness with God is based upon your behavior, that, then, then what that means is, is that when you're doing everything right, you feel like you have peace, and then when you make a mistake, you feel like God is against you or God is not for you. How many know that our behavior is up and down, right? Your mood, moods are up and down, feelings are up and down, behavior's up and down, um, but your salvation 
is a done deal through Jesus on the cross. And when you understand that, when you understand that you're right with God by faith, can I get just a little bit more volume? When you understand that you're right with God by faith, it brings a stability into your life that will actually cause your behavior to change in a very positive way. The reason that I got set free from, from drug addiction is I realized that I was not a drug addict any longer, that I was a child of God. My, my identity is what actually set me free from those, those failed behaviors of drug addiction. It, it, the same thing for any aspect of your life that you're dealing with bondage in, when you understand who you are, it's really easy to get set free from those things because your identity is in Christ. Your identity is not in your behavior. And so the kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy. So when you know that you're right with God by faith in Jesus Christ, you're going to have peace. How many know when you know that God is for you, there's a sense of peace? Right? When you know that God is for you, there's a sense of peace. See, the question isn't, um, is this too big? How I many you know no one in here right now, are you, are you, no one in here is facing anything that's too big for God? Nobody is. There's no problem that we have that's too big for God to handle. And I think that all of us would agree with that. But the, the, where the enemy tries to bring a question mark into our lives is, is, is God going to help me? It's not a question of can God do it. The question is, will, can God help, will God help me? And that is where the enemy comes in, and he tries to bring in a sense of questioning and a sense of doubt. But how many know when you can remove yourself from the equation and you can recognize that God is for you, because of what Jesus has done on the cross, not necessarily as a result of your good behavior or your bad behavior, your good deeds or your bad deeds. How I many know oh, that can bring you into a sense of stability? Because how I many know oh, even when you make a mistake, God's still for you? Doesn't mean that God advocates your mistake. It doesn't mean, how I many know oh, God is against sin? Can I get an amen? God is not pro sin, God is against sin, sin destroys people's lives. But when you understand that even in your mistakes, that God is still with you and God is still for you, and God is on your team, and God is on your side, that begins to flood your heart with a sense of peace. And so now, when we understand the kingdom, we understand... I don't know what's going on with that. Yeah, we can just turn it down until it doesn't do it anymore. It'll be fine. I was just trying to say my voice a little bit, but we'll work on that later. Um, when you understand that God is for you, and that you have that sense of peace, and then you understand not only is God all-powerful, but God's all-powerful for you in your situation, in your circumstance... That floods your heart with a sense of peace. And so when I know that I'm right with God, I have peace. And then out of that place of peace, God wants to flower something called joy. God wants to bring His joy into our lives. One-third of the kingdom of God is joy. And the joy of the Lord is your strength. And one of the things that we've been looking at is, you know, you, you take a look at an airplane and an airplane's flying. Uh, last night I was looking out at the stars, and the stars were just beautiful last night. And um, I was just, I don't know, sometimes I look at the stars and I just feel closer to God. I know that God um, has taught people through the stars. He taught Abraham that, you know, his seed was going to be more neural in the stars. And I was out there and I was just looking at the stars. And I'm just like, man, it's just so pretty out here. And I saw this airplane just rolling past and going so fast. And how many know that in that airplane, that the airplane inside of the airplane is not experiencing the, the cold in the atmosphere that's on the outside? And we've looked at this before. How many know the airplane has a pressurized cabin and it, they, are, they have an atmosphere of their choosing on the inside of the airplane? Amen? And so 
uh, they can travel hundreds of miles an hour, no problem, because they've now pressurized their cabinet. It doesn't matter how cold it is on the outside. It doesn't matter how strong the wind is. It doesn't matter any of those things because the atmosphere in the airplane is being controlled. I believe that God wants to pressurize your home with joy. I believe He wants to pressurize your marriage with joy. I believe He wants to pressurize your heart with joy. I believe that He wants to bring His joy into your life so that when the stock market is up, when the stock market is down, you still have joy. When the political system is up, when the political system is down, you still have joy. No matter what's going on in the world, it can't touch your joy because this joy does not come from circumstances. This joy is an eternal force. And in fact, you know, this is a really interesting way to look at this, but joy is such a powerful commodity in heaven that joy is what Jesus was rewarded with for His obedience on the cross. See, I've always been taught that we were the joy that was set before Him. And I agree with that. We are the joy. How I many you know He died for us, right? But if you look at it in Hebrews, it says because of the joy, He endured the cross, despising the shame. What the Father was re is rewarding Jesus with, certainly it's us, it's His bride, but there is joy that Jesus has been rewarded with as the result of His obedience on the cross. Joy is such a powerful commodity. I mean, oh, joy is powerful. See, most people on this planet, they're trying to be happy. Everybody's trying to get happy. They're trying to, you know, get happy in terms of, you know, their happiness may be based upon the way they look or, or how much money's in their bank account or something that they own or how much education that they have or what kind of ability they have or, or what type of relationships they have. I mean, most of the world is chasing a very fleeting happiness. And I would say that because of the advent of uh, social media, I think happiness has been on the downturn. Because what happens is, is everybody tries to compare themselves with somebody else, and they think somebody else has so much better life than they have, and so they enter into a state of covetousness where they want what somebody else has, and if they just had what they had, then they would be happy. And how many know covetousness cannot produce happiness? In the Greek, it's the word epithumia, and it is a pining away. It literally starves your heart. Your heart shrivels up when you're in a state of jealousy and covetousness. And currently, this world, there is a real absence of happiness. I don't care how many happy pictures are snapped. I don't care how many photoshops you know, uh, have taken place or, or airbrushes or whatever. I mean, you know, the world tries real hard to make sin look happy. You, you just never see a beer commercial with sad people. You know, and I'm not saying beer in and of itself is sin. I mean, you can use it properly or you can abuse it. But what, I'm, but what I am saying is the world is always trying to advertise happiness to get you to buy something. Because they, you know, man, if you just had the, you know, you see people just eating yogurt like they're absolutely just in ecstasy. You know what I'm saying? I mean, come on now. I mean, I like a little bit of yogurt, but I ain't never had yogurt make my eyes roll back in my head. You know what I'm saying? Like, if I'm flying through the air, you know, like a trapeze. You know what I mean? It's like, it ain't like that. But what they're doing is, is they're trying to appeal to man's desire to be happy. Because everybody wants to be happy. One of the reasons I did not choose God is I wanted to be happy. I was an atheist, and I looked at the church, 
And I thought, man, these people are not enjoying themselves. And it just looks like they have more rules. And so I'm thinking, and then I'm looking at, you know, at the time, MTV and rock stars and rap stars and, you know, gin and juice and the party life. And I'm thinking, those people look happy, you know, and they don't have as many rules. I'm going to go with those people. And I went with those people, and by the time I was 19 years old, it almost killed me. I almost died. How many of the enemy will package death like it's freedom? Only the devil can make death look attractive. And so I took it hook, line, and sinker and rejected the church because the world looked happier. But like I said, by the time I was 19, when I was a full-blown drug addict, I realized that what the enemy sold me as happiness was not happiness and was not joy and was not peace. But also, what I had saw in the church, I saw mean, holier-than-thou, self-righteous, religious people going around trying to tell everybody what to do. And that, how many know that in the presence of Jesus, there is freedom? Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom, there is liberty, there is joy. Amen. It's the truth. And I know that may not be what we've necessarily experienced in times past, but how many know Jesus was full of joy? The Bible says that in the, in the book of Hebrews that he was anointed with the oil of gladness above his fellows. How many of Jesus wasn't a weak man? And how many of the joy of the Lord is your strength? Now, I know on the cross he was the man of sorrows. But while Jesus conducted his earthly ministry, there was a joy in Jesus that drew children to him. How many of you know children don't come to people that aren't happy? And, and, and Jesus had such a draw on children they, they had to, those disciples literally had to like keep the kids away from Jesus. And the reason being is that Jesus operated in joy. How I many know oh, heaven is a joyful place? And so what this world is presenting to us as happiness, and happiness is happenstance, it's when your circumstances are just right, you can be happy. We have something greater than that. We have this eternal spiritual force of joy, and it's one-third of God's kingdom. And so um, we've been looking at how to operate in that. We've been looking in how to dive into that. And um, let's turn to uh, Philippians chapter 4, please. And we've been looking at Alicia. She's trying to bum rest the stage. It's all good. Amen. She, she's, she's demonstrating what I'm preaching. <laughs> Freedom. That's right. Um, but there's a relationship of joy and grace. And uh, if you look at the word for joy, um, in the Greek, it's the word kara. And if you look at the word for grace, it's the word charis. And so this joy that I'm talking about arises out of the grace of God. When you understand the grace of God, when you understand the gospel, how many are the joy that comes to you? Think about when somebody first gets saved. How many when someone first gets saved, they experience a joy? They experience a peace. They experience a freedom. And um, so much so that we love to see people get saved because we love just getting washed by what they're, what they're experiencing, right? Because when people first get saved, they have no time or opportunity to get under legalism because how many know you have to get saved by faith through grace? There's no other way to even get saved. And so they have this period of time where they're enjoying the grace of God. They're enjoying an unmerited, undeserved favor. They know that they're forgiven. And there's a joy that is arising out of their hearts. And um, when, you, when you are under grace, there is a joy that comes. But how many of the enemy is always trying to bring you back into legalism? What are you talking about, Jeremiah? How many of the enemy is always trying to convince you that God's mad at you? 
Always trying to convince you that God doesn't love you. Always trying to convince you that you're not good enough to get his promises or you're not worthy enough uh, to be anointed by him. Or he, the enemy always tries to make you very conscious of yourself. When you are self-conscious, you're not really flowing in the grace of God. God didn't call you to be self-conscious. He called you to be Christ-conscious. He called you to be Jesus-conscious. How many know that when you see Jesus in His amazing grace, that faith arises on the inside of you? Because the reason that people had faith to be healed under the ministry of Jesus is they were looking at Jesus as if He was a superhero. They weren't thinking about whether they were worthy or not. They weren't thinking about whether they were good enough or not. They were looking to Jesus, who is the author and finisher of their faith, and there was, there was an ignition of faith and grace together so that there could be a contact point. But how many know if the enemy can condemn you out of believing that God loves you, you're not going to enjoy that love, even though God loves you very much? If the enemy can condemn you out of thinking that somehow God's against you or God's mad at you and God's going to punish you, how many know God loves you very much, but if you believe the lie that the enemy has put in, inside of your head and made you self-conscious and self-focused, how many know we can disqualify ourselves from God's presence and God's love even when he has not? And so the enemy works overtime to bring back into our mindset a legalistic paradigm. And uh, God is not operating in legalism. God's not operating in performance. How many know there's nobody in this room that's any better than anybody else? Right? How many know there's no one in this room that has more of a right to God than anybody else? The, re the reality is that, that, that it's all for free and it's unmerited, undeserved favor. All you got to do is take what God's given you. Can I get an amen? And how many of you, someone could come off the street this morning and come in here, be an alcoholic, drug addict, atheist, and how many of God will receive them immediately and give them everything he has? And sometimes I think it's easier for that person to receive because they know they're not earning anything from God. Whereas how many of you know after you've been saved for a while, it can start to enter into your mind that you're earning something from God. Listen. Legalism is a joy killer. Performance is a joy killer. If you think that you are earning love from God, you ever seen a kid who didn't have um, his... We, we see it all the time in sports. It's really sad. We see kids who they're, 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 the, in the entirety of their dad's love and affection towards them is based upon how well they play sports. It's one of the saddest things ever. Because you got a kid who just wants to be loved, but it's all based upon how well he, he plays the sport. I mean, we've watched it. It's tragic because you have a kid who just wants to be loved, but yet he's got to earn that love. How I many you know if, if you got to earn love, it's not real love? The love that comes from God is an unconditional love. And, and um, performance is a joy killer. We've seen kids who were trying to earn their, their, their parents' approval or something just out on the field, and you know what? They end up hating the sport. They end up hating it. They don't like, there's no joy in it whatsoever when you're trying to perform for it. And it's the same way in your Christianity. When you are trying to perform for God's love and God's favor and God's blessing, there's no joy in it. Like I used to, I, we, we, we used to be in this position where we were always giving in order to get God to move God or get God to bless us. We were even praising God in order to get God to move or get God to bless us. How many of y'all, that's performance. And how many of y'all, that's misery. 
You have to understand in the kingdom, God blesses you first. God loves you first. God, God embraces you first. And then out of you knowing that you're loved, you knowing that you're blessed, how many know then uh, it will cause you to want to praise God, to want to serve God? I am now living out of a place of want to. Like, I love God. Like, I don't care how many people are in the church, how many people are not in the church. I don't care about any of these things. I love God. Like, I really love Him. And like, what I have found, as I've gotten rooted and grounded in this stuff, there's an affection that comes out of my heart towards God. Like, I'm affectionate. toward. It's really unusual. Because I never experienced that in legalism. In legalism, I was always like, look at me, God, look at me, I'm a good boy. That, that's not what, I mean, that's, that's legalism, right? Look at me, God. I'm, look how many people I won to Jesus. How many times I, look at me, look at me. I'm not like that at all right now. Like, I'm not trying to get his attention anymore. How many know you shouldn't be trying to get God's attention? You got it. You, you, you got it. He loves you. He's in, he's in the inside of you. <clears throat> as, I, as I was out checking out the stars last night, I just had just this love, like this affection. Like, it's so cool because, like, it's coming from my heart. And listen, it has nothing to do with me. It's because of him. Like, he's the one that's made me love him. Y'all tracking me here. And so being, getting my heart established in grace has caused a love for God and a want to serve him. So now you know what? I enjoy it. I never enjoyed it under legalism. It was always a competition it was always me trying. It's always me trying to outdo the people around me. Everybody been to Spiritual Olympics before? You know, that's like what you're trying to do, man. You're trying to outdo everybody because everyone's like these love-starved orphans that, that think that Daddy God's only got a couple tokens of love, so it's whoever, whoever does the best Christianity, then you get the little token of love, and the rest of y'all, you're just going to have to worship the person who got the token of love. Praise God. I know it's painful, but it's true. And But it's not the way the kingdom operates. In the kingdom, I mean, you know, there's not, God doesn't play favorites. You know, check it out. There's, there's not anybody in this room that God loves more than somebody else. Right? God doesn't love me more because I'm a preacher. You know what I'm saying? God's, God loves you. Man, if we could just get a hold of how much God loves you, like, you're basically, your life's over. Because, like, you stop living for yourself. And you stop being afraid, and you stop being selfish, and you stop. It's just a totally different way of living. But under performance, you can't enjoy that because you never feel like you've been good enough to be loved by God. And you spend your days in competition with other people. And I mean, oh, that's not really a family. I never want my kids to compete for my love. I never want my kids to compete for my favor. I mean, I want them all to have it. Amen? Because I mean, oh, that's healthy. One kid shouldn't be favored above another kid. And then one person in the kingdom is not favored above another. Amen? God has a big enough heart and a big enough, he's a big enough God to love us equally. Amen? You know, one of the things I was super concerned about with having more kids is I thought, how am I going to love anybody as much as I love Ethan? Like, I was literally afraid. Like, I was like, I don't think I got it. I mean, I'm not even kidding. I thought, how am I going to love somebody as much as I love him? I mean, I was genuinely concerned about it. Because I thought, man, these kids just aren't going to get the best version of who I am. Because I've poured my whole life into him. But you know what? I had another kid. You know what happened to my heart? Boop, boop. It got bigger. <laughs> and then I had another kid, and it went boop, boop. 
And so now, like, the love, like, there's no lack of, I love my other two kids just as much as I love Ethan, and it's supernatural. Y'all tracking me? And then we're like, we done having kids. We done, we good. <laughs> Lord, we good. Because <laughs> we get one more kid, and we got to rent a bus. You know what I'm saying? I mean, like, praise God. But God, like, his heart is big enough to love us all, man, and to love us equally. And so when we're under legalism, man, it, it really, it's a joyless experience. And so, you know, we looked at the relationship of joy and grace, kara and charis, and now we're going to look at another Greek word that's tied to the word grace and tied to the word joy, and it's eucharistio, um, and it means to be thankful. I'm talking about gratitude. See, because this joy that you have, see, you already have joy. We've looked at it. One third of the kingdom is joy. Can I get an amen? And the kingdom's inside of you. So you have joy. You're not trying to get it. You have it. But how many know you're learning how to tap into it, right? And then um, how many know that you're a part of your character is joy? How many know that the fruit of the Spirit is your character now? Love, peace, joy. So once again, you're not trying to produce joy. You have joy. You're just uncovering the joy that's within you. And we're also making sure that no legalistic mindsets of you trying to perform or earn for God comes into your mind. Because if you get a legalistic mindset, how many know you switch out of the younger brother and you become the elder brother? And how many of the elder brother ain't having fun? He don't like God. He don't like his brother. He don't like nobody. He don't even like himself. You ever been the elder brother? It's a rough road. It's easier to be a prodigal. Because <laughs> at least everybody knows what you've done is wrong. You can be an elder brother, and you can be operating as an elder brother not even knowing. Signs of being an elder brother. You have no joy, and, you're, and, you're, and your entire life is based upon criticizing the people around you. Selah. Yeah. And, and, and the thing about it is we can switch in and out. But I'm telling you, your joy is found under understanding the grace of God. Amen. And so, um, thankfulness. So you, you have joy. It's a part of your character. It's a part of the kingdom. And then how many know we've also seen where there are times where there can be an infilling of joy? Like the Spirit of God can come. The Bible says that the disciples were strengthened with joy. There's times when you can also be filled with the joy of the Lord. Can I get an Amen. And so th these are all things, but then this next thing I'm going to talk about is gratitude, and gratitude will help protect your joy. If you are not thankful, I can promise you, you won't be joyful. If you are not thankful, you will not be happy. I don't care what you have. I mean, you see it all the time. I mean, we see people in Hollywood, rich, famous a tr you know, good-looking, houses, fame, fortune, killing themselves, left, right, and sideways. Miserable. Why? Because material things do not mean joy or even happiness. And, and how many know a child on the corner with a ball can have a lot more joy than an actor in Hollywood in a mansion. And that child can have a higher quality of life than this person that has everything. What's the difference? Gratitude. Thanksgiving. And I, I didn't plan this. I know we're coming up on Thanksgiving. I thought, wow, it's going to be Thanksgiving this week. How cool is that? Praise God. But like your gratitude will protect your joy.
and it will keep you out of covetousness. If you are, if you are coveting, you are not going to be happy. If you're wanting what somebody else has and you are comparing yourself with somebody else, and, and with the advent of social media, there's always somebody who has more. I don't care what you got going on in your life. There's always somebody who's doing more, has more, whatever. And how I many you know there you can be with godliness with contentment is great gain. If you, and so I'm talking about gratitude here. When we are in that place of gratitude, we protect our hearts from misery. When we're in that place of gratitude, we protect our hearts from misery. I mean, it doesn't matter how perfect the day is. If you're not thankful, you won't enjoy it. It doesn't matter how good the coconut pie is. Can I get an amen? (laughs) Hallelujah. Don't get me started. (laughs) Amen. It doesn't matter what's going on. If you're not thankful, you can't enjoy it. And so the enemy... And once again, this word Eucharistio, this thanksgiving is tied into the grace of God. How many know God has done enough for us right now? If He never does anything else, we could all be thankful for eternity. But how many know it's easy to lose sight of that? It's easy to get caught up in the battle. It's easy to think, well, God, why didn't this happen? Well, God, why did this happen? Well, God, why? And not focus on the million other things that God's done for you. And the enemy will try to take your face and point it into this one thing or this two things so he can suck the gratitude out of you to make you weak with sorrow and complaining. If you are in a pity party, you are not under grace. If you are in a pity party, your focus is is in the wrong place. Pity party is the epitome of focusing on the wrong things. When we're in a, when we're in a pity party, how I many know we are not thinking about Jesus' sacrifice on the cross? When we're in a pity party, we're not thinking about the things that God has done for us. We're thinking about us. We are the biggest things in our mind. And, and I just want to encourage you, if you feel a pity, how many know we've all, anybody ever been in a pity party? Anybody been in a pity party this week? Maybe this morning? Hallelujah. Appreciate your honesty. Hallelujah. But like a pity party means you are not aware of God's grace. In that moment of time, you're very focused on self. And let me tell you something. How many know you are not going to be happy in a pity party? And how many know things probably aren't going to change in a pity party? In fact, things would get worse. See, when you, I mean, you know, some of us, we've been taught how to guilt people into doing what we want. We've been taught how to cry and get our way. We've been taught how to be emotional to where we can get the things that we want. I mean, we've all been taught that to some level. I mean, you come into the world like that. Like my daughter's like that. That's how she, that's how she communicates. I'm crying. Something needs to change. <laughs> and you know what? And it's, and that, how many of that's okay for a while. But how many of she got to, we have to teach her out of that. Right? But she's two. 
And she's crying, and somebody, something needs to happen, right? But as she gets older, how I many know she needs to realize the world don't revolve around her? Amen. But we've all had a time in our lives when we, through emotion or through guilt or whatever, we've been taught to try to control the circumstances like that. How many know God is not moved by that? You cannot guilt God into doing anything. And if you approach him like that, what ends up happening is you're going to be very frustrated. Because, see, God already did everything for us through his son Jesus dying on the cross for our sins. Can you get an amen? God's already provided everything for us. But a lot of times what can happen, and this is one of the things that legalism produces, is we step outside of the beauty of that covenant and we try to cut this side emotional covenant with God. And all the reason I'm talking about this is because I've done it many times. God, I'm miserable, and you need to do something. <laughs> and God, look at me, God. I'm unhappy. And I, I know this is, listen, I'm talking to, I've done this. Have y'all done this? We've all done this. And like, God's like, I can't touch that. Because how many know if you can manipulate God with your emotions, that's not grace. If you can manipulate God with your good behavior, that's not grace. At the very core of legalism, it's I'm in control of what God does because I'm going to make God bless me. That's why it's so evil. See, we're not saying don't do right things and don't do good things and good deeds. We're all for doing good. Just don't try to do good in order to manipulate God. Don't do good in order to try to add to the cross. Because if you're doing that, you're frustrating grace, and you're not going to be happy. Because you're actually not going to receive anything from God because you're trying to make Him do something. We used to do it with fasting. We used to do it with giving. God, I gave everything. Now you have to move. No, he doesn't. Like, and, and I'm not saying that, I mean, fasting is good, giving is good, <clears throat> doing good deeds are good, but do it out of the place of already being blessed. Do it out of the place of already being loved. Now, if God leads you to do something, then obey God. But don't try to do something to manipulate God because you're not going to have any type of gratitude or joy. In fact, you're going to be miserable going to be like the elder brother. We're going to look at the elder brother here in a minute. How many of the elder brother said, I kept all your commandments. How come I never got a goat? What's he doing? He's not basing things on the goodness of the father. He's basing things on his own goodness. How many of the elder brother is the most joyless person in the whole story? You know who has more joy than the elder brother? The prodigal and the father and the servants. They came to the party. Elder brother, he's out, he's out back. He ain't coming in. Why? <clears throat> because he's not under grace. And he's not thankful. He's just thinking about what he earned compared to what somebody else earned. And, and, and I know we're kind of getting into the thick of things a little bit here this morning. But how many know, if I can set you free from a pity party, I've done my job. If I can get you out of all that entitlement and all of that grumbling and all of that misery, and joyless Christian existence, I've done my job because there's joy for you. But it might be you changing the way you approach God. 
and staying in a place of gratitude and thanksgiving, which means that you're aware of God's grace. When we understand that it's His grace, and we understand that all the promises are yes and amen in Him, how I many know oh, that's good news? Listen, how I many know oh, God's not holding anything back from you? Because He gave it all to you through Jesus Christ. You don't have to earn anything from God. Can I get an amen? It's all yours. You don't have to earn it. You don't have to deserve it. All you got to do is believe and take. Amen. But in the midst of the trial, guard your joy with gratitude. Let's look at a couple of scriptures here. Philippians chapter 4 and verse 6, it says, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Jesus Christ. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving. With this word, Eucharistio. How many know that in a place of prayer, that thanksgiving is one of the most important elements of the prayer? How many know when you're in a pity party, you're not thankful? And when, you, when you're approaching God and, and we're saying the things that we want and we're giving our petitions and we're talking about the things we, that we're concerned about, thanksgiving is what preserves that entire beautiful moment. How many you know you're more excited about giving something to your child when they're thankful than when they're entitled? When your kid's like, yeah, I'll take that. Because, like, you owe that to me or whatever. I mean, you know, number one, the kid is not in, enjoying what they're given because they don't appreciate it. And then number two, I mean, you know, it's not fun for you either. <clears throat> Entitlement sucks the joy out of all relationships. Entitlement sucks the joy out of all relationships. Entitlement sucks the joy out of all relationships. I mean, you know, we don't want anyone to do something out of a place of entitlement, we want them to do something out of a place of wanting to. Y'all tracking me here. I'm talking about protecting your joy. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 16, it says, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. So it's talking about this word, Eucharistio. It's talking about preserving this place of thanksgiving. And I love Colossians 4 too. It says, continuing earnestly in prayer, being vigilant in it with thanksgiving. Vigilant with thanksgiving. Vigilant with thanksgiving. How I many of you know vigilant is a strong word? How I many of you know vigilant is watchful? Right now, my dog, it's hunting season for my dog. It's hunting season for many of you. But for some reason, my dog, this is his time. Like he's out, he's out in the blinds, you know, he's got his camo on. <laughs> But my dog loves to hunt. <clears throat> and so like this morning, he was just wanting to get out. And so he's out there. It's cold outside, but he don't care. I don't know what he's killing out there, but, you know, anything he can. But he's out there, and he's just perched. And he is vigilant. This dog is an amazing hunter. I'll give him that. He's, he, he, can just, he, just, he just kills anything back there, you know. And, um, but one of the things that makes him a great hunter is he's very vigilant. When he's in that hunting state, his eyes change, like his pupils dilate, and like he is just like the most vigilant creature ever. Like, I mean, he's just back there, and he's just watching and listening and taking it all in, and it's a wonder to behold. But 
How many know God wants you to be that vigilant about being thankful? What if you were vigilant with being thankful? What does that mean? Just like you're looking for something to be thankful about. Vigilant. Not only looking for something to be thankful about in the present, how many of you are pulling things from the past to be thankful about? God, I thank you when you did this for me. God, I thank you when you did that for me. And you're surrounding yourself with gratitude. You're protecting your heart from covetousness, and you're guarding the place of joy. Y'all tracking me here? This is one of the things that I've been really just operating in in my life. I had a, I had a, a, a couple, I had a, an opportunity for a pity party a couple weeks ago. And the worst kind of pity party is when you lay down in bed and you're going to sleep and you just want to sit there and just complain <laughs> internally. Anybody ever done that before? And just like, just you had a tough day. Anybody had a tough day? And like, and you just want to just go to bed and start over. I have had that happen many, many times, right? And so I was having one of those moments where I'll just, everything bugged me. You know, when you're in a pity party, you don't see clearly. It's, you know, you, you are not observing reality, but it's everybody's fault <laughs> except yours. <laughs> and if everyone would just do this and do that, and why can't they do this, and what's wrong with that, and there you are just laying in bed, just, you know, sanctimonious saint. You're perfect, and everyone else has a problem, right? And I'm laying there, and how many know when you're in that state, that hole can get deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper? And how many know when you're in a state like that, it's not just you that's in there. How many know the enemy's shooting little stuff in your head, too? He's like, well, you remember when your wife said that? <laughs> oh, yeah. You remember when, remember when, and nobody thanked you, and you, you got, you know, you made dinner or whatever. You know what I'm saying? And nobody cares, and everyone takes it. So it's not just you. There's an enemy that's just trying to feed your head full of negativity because he's afraid of the flowering of your joy. Because when you are joyful, your whole house is a different place. Your life is a different place. And you know what? And this is one of the things I really believe God's going to use to bring the loss to Him is when we start seeing joyful, happy Christians. There's a light that's going to shine on us, and people are going to realize that, that, you know, that, that what the world is promising me for happiness, the joy of yogurt and Budweiser is not enough. This person has something I don't have. They're joyful. Y'all tracking me here? I'm enjoying being joyful in this season. And it's funny because like I'm, I, and I, I'm, I'm learning how to operate in this. I'm not saying I'm perfect in it, but <clears throat> when I'm in the grocery store, I have an opportunity to be joyful with the people around me. What does that mean? That means that I'm talking to people and I'm joking around with them. And man, joy is almost like when people see someone in joy, everyone takes notice because so few people have it right now. You're like, you mean you're not mad? You mean you're not upset that the line is slow? You mean you're not like, and they see me laughing and talking? How many of it draws attention to Jesus? Come on, man. And I feel like that's a part of what God's doing in the time that we're living in. He wants to draw attention to Jesus through joy. Listen, I'm not talking about faking it till you make it. I'm not talking about smiling through the tears. I'm not talking about any of that crap. I'm not talking about any of your self-will. I'm talking about you tapping into something that God has given you as a gift and guarding it and cultivating it and bringing that joy out in your life so it's a blessing to you and a blessing to those around you. So anyway, so I was laying in bed and I was experiencing a pity party, right? Fiery trial. And then I just thought to myself, what if I did what I preached? 
<laughs> what if I made a decision to, you know, do what I've been teaching everybody to do? And I said, you know what? That's what I'm going to do. Because, I mean, you know, there's something about a pity party that feels good to your emotions in a weird, negative way. Anybody ever had a, a mosquito bite that you scratched until it bled? I mean, I'm, I know that's gross. I'm sorry. But, like, you know what I'm saying? Like, you're scratching it, and it kind of feels good, but it kind of don't. And it's not productive, right? Well, you can get in this place in your soul where you're just pity partying it up, and everybody's done you wrong, and everybody, blah, blah. And it just starts to feel good in that negative emotional sense because you're, you're in that place. Well, I switched gears, and I said, you know what? I'm not doing this. I'm going to be thankful. And man, I just started internally just thanking God and calling, to, being vigilant in it with thanksgiving and started remembering all the things that he did for me and remembering how he set me free from addiction and how he did this for me and how he did that for me and how he did this for me. Now, initially, it didn't feel right. Because how many know when you're going in this direction, it takes some time to get, get the momentum going back this way, right? Well, you know what I did? But I switched the momentum. And I laid there, and you know what happened? I uncovered joy. And I was so thankful. And there was a joy that was in me, and a thanksgiving, and I felt God's presence come on me. And I went to bed in love with God, rather than complaining against Him. And it was just an, a matter of me being vigilant with thanksgiving. How many of the enemy doesn't want you to focus on the things that you are thankful for? He wants you to focus on the things that you don't have, not focus on the things that you have. Y'all tracking me here? And this is one of those things that's within your power to do. And I know this is super simple. How many of y'all, just because it's simple, doesn't mean it don't work? How many of y'all, basketball games aren't won with a spectacular slam dunk? They're won with free throw shots. They're won with, they're won with the, the basics, you follow me? And this, this, this issue of gratitude, man, it's so powerful. And so, let's turn to Romans chapter 4 real quick, please. It's got about 15 minutes left here. I've talked about this, but I, I just want to give you some scripture on it. Romans chapter 4 and in verse 1, it says, What then shall we say that Abraham our father is found according to the flesh? For if Abraham were justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. What does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Now to him who works, the wages are not counted as grace, but as debt. But to him who does not work, but believes on him, justifies the ungodly, and his faith is counted for righteousness. Now getting back over here, how I many you know, now to him who works. Now what are you talking about? I'm not talking about a ceasing of good works, but I'm saying when you are trying to do something to get God to bless you or to love you, how I many you know, you're trying to make God in debt to you? And that's not the way things work. But in a place of grace, how many of you know there's joy? And we'll, and we'll, we'll transition here. How many of you know the 11th hour worker had joy? How many of you know the first hour worker was complaining? How many of you know the 11th hour worker was receiving something he did not earn and he did not deserve, so he celebrated the goodness of the master? How many of you know you can be a first hour worker, you can be the 11th hour worker, it's your choice has nothing to do with how long you're in the field. How many of gratitude grows? Just like grumbling grows. How many of you get around some people that are unthankful and they'll pass it over into somebody else's cup, pass it over into somebody else, and next thing you know, that ungratitude and that offended offense is just rolling around. It's just growing. It's gross. But how many of you know Thanksgiving's the same way? 
How many of you can cultivate an atmosphere of gratitude in your home? Amen. And, and, but now you can't make somebody be thankful, but you can be thankful. And then you can, you can help create that culture in your home. And listen to me. How many of you know it'll make your life better? Because there's a joy that's good. There's a Eucharistio. There's a joy. There's a connection to God's grace and God's joy that happens out of that place of gratitude. Y'all tracking me here? Now turn to um, uh, Luke 15 real quick, please. And I want to take a look at the elder brother. And, and because I know none of, we're, none of us in here, we're not the elder brother. But how many of you can transition into the elder brother mindset? And, and we have to be careful not to. We have to be careful to stay out of this. And to stay in that place of thanksgiving so that we can protect our joy. Amen? Luke 15 and verse 25. I'm not really focusing on the prodigal. I'm focusing on the elder. It says, Now his older son was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, Your brother has come because, because he has received him safe and sound. Your father has killed the fatted calf. Now listen, it says, But he was angry. It would not go in. He was angry and would not go in. Therefore, his father came out and pleaded with him. So he answered and said to his father, Lo, I've these many years I have been serving you. I have never transgressed your commandment at any time, and yet you never gave me a goat that I might make merry or joyful with my friends. But as soon as this son of yours came who has devoured your livelihood with harlots, you killed the fatted calf for him. And he said to him, now stop here for just a moment. <clears throat> How many know this guy is real focused on what he's done? And so because he's really focused on what he's done, I mean, you know, he actually can't enjoy the goodness of the Father. How I many know oh, this guy, this elder brother, how I many know oh, he's not under grace? And he has no gratitude. He's in a pity party. Because he's comparing himself with somebody else who he thinks deserves less than him. How I many oh, in God's kingdom? There's not one child that deserves more love than another. In God's kingdom, it's not like that. Now, it might be like that in the world, but God has this amazing thing called grace that reveals his nature of love. And, but this guy, he slipped over into this mindset. How many of you know we have to guard against this mindset? How many of you know we live in a very offended world right now? Everybody's offended. Everybody's mad. Everybody's angry. How many of you know... But you don't have to be like that. How many of that's not your kingdom? How many of we can have joy in this season? But one of the things that we can do proactively is to make sure that we're under grace and to, and to, and to stay in a place of gratitude. And so the father says to him, he says, Son, I love what the father says. Son, you are always with me. All that I have is yours. He brings him out of his performance and brings him back to his sonship. He says, son, all I have is yours. See, this man was out there trying to earn something that was free. This man was trying to deserve something that had already been given to him. And the amazing thing about it is, 
is you never see his mouth filled. The prodigal scandalously fills his mouth and then gracefully fills his mouth. And the elder brother got nothing the whole time. And the elder brother on paper looks more moral, <coughs> looks like a better person. But how many know in God's kingdom, God doesn't reward you according to your righteousness? God rewards you according to his righteousness. And so the reality is, how many know that God wanted to bless them both, but only one received? Who was the one that received? The one that was aware of grace. The one that was not rejoicing in his own goodness, but rejoiced in the goodness of his father. And the words that he uses is make merry with my friends. That word merry is the word joy. How many of you know that legalistic performance mindset never had joy? And so the enemy, if he can't stop you from getting saved, he wants to turn you into an elder brother. And I, honestly, I think the elder brothers have probably done more damage to the kingdom of God than just about anything else. Why do a lot of people not want anything to do with Jesus? Because of mean, holier-than-thou Christians. That kept me away for years. I was an atheist until I was about 19 years old, and the part of the reason I say an atheist is the Christians. I thought, y'all are mean, man. And, and that's not, so the enemy works overtime to try to get people over into... How many of the elder brother was having a pity party? Listen, this is important. Your pity party doesn't just affect you. It affects those around you. You can't contain it. Because if you are in a place of miserable entitlement, how many of you are going to push that misery off on everybody around you? And the next thing you know, everybody's measuring themselves. Am I good enough? Because, I mean, when you're under that performance, you put everybody else under that performance. And it's miserable. And there's no gratitude and there's no joy. And it's not the kingdom of God. And so, you know, this is one of those messages where we're like troubleshooting a little bit. It's like, okay, if I'm not enjoying my life and I'm not in a place of joy, then somehow grace must be frustrated. And, and a really important thing for you to understand is you never arrive in this where you... You never get to the place to where you're just locked into the grace of God in the sense that it's in your mindset and you're enjoying it. Now listen, the grace of God's always flowing to you, but how many know that, that we can frustrate grace? And so never think, well, and I've been studying this for 10 years. I've been studying this for 15. I've been, never think that. If you, you, you don't get to the place where the enemy doesn't try to pull you out of this. It's never going to happen. You're never going to, even Martin Luther, when he got a hold of the gospel, he said, I have to preach this every day so I don't forget it. He said, why? Because it's easy to lose. Because everywhere else you look is meritocracy. Everywhere, you, everywhere else you look is earning. <clears throat> now listen to me, and, and this is important to lay in here. I'm not saying your performance isn't important. How many, know God want, how many know God will gift you and bless you and want you to use the gifts and the callings that he's blessed you with? But... He gives it to you, and then when you use it, He rewards you for using what He gave you. So it always ends up being on God anyway. 
But I'm not saying, I'm not saying that your <clears throat> performance isn't important, being faithful isn't important, all of these things. But I'm saying when it comes to his table and coming to him, it's for free. It's unearned and it's undeserved and it's all yours. But don't end up being an elder brother when there's a party going on, when there's, when there's feasting going on, when there's the goodness of God going on. How many of you know the elder brother could have transitioned out of his mindset? But you know what it would have required? Humility. He would have had to have humbled himself and made a decision to trust in his father's goodness and not his own goodness. And if he'd done that, how I many you know he could celebrate in, his, in, the, in the younger brother's return and all of the good things that had been done for him? But this place of gratitude, it's, a, it's, a, it's something that we can do on purpose to guard our joy. Amen? So, and I go back to it, and I'm going to close with this. I go back to that scripture, be vigilant with thanksgiving. Vigilant. Look for things to be thankful for now and pull from the past on things that you're thankful for and understand that you're, you're protecting that place of joy. And if you find yourself joyless and you find yourself angry and critical, understand what's happening. You gotta, you gotta make a trend. You gotta get back under the grace of God. You gotta get back under that in, in your understanding. Y'all tracking me here? Because man, because <clears throat> what ends up happening is, is we, when we get into self-condemnation, we condemn everybody around us. And then, and then it, and, and, and we have to guard against it because it's very negative. And one of the things that, that makes it so challenging is a lot of times we don't realize it's happened. We'll spend a week totally unthankful, two weeks totally unthankful. And the next thing you know, that then we're constantly thinking, well, someone should have did that, they should have, they should have, whatever, whatever. And then we're not, and then next thing you know, that you're in this place of misery. And the whole time, right below, is, there's, there's all this joy. But we got to transition into this place of gratitude. Can I get an amen? I know I'm saying the same thing over and over again, but I'm just trying to, like, drive it home. Drive it home. Because I don't want this to just be knowledge to you. I want you to actually do this on Monday. You know what I'm saying? Because it'll make your life better. It really will. It's such a simple, a lot of times it's just a little simple tweak. Um, and, it, you know, it's right when we're going back into the Thanksgiving time, you know, the holidays and stuff like that. But, man, just... Increase your thanksgiving and watch how your quality of life will increase. You'll enjoy your life so much more. Amen? Amen. Cool. Father, we just thank you and praise you that you help us to be vigilant um, in it with thanksgiving, Lord God, and thanksgiving would abound in our lives. And I thank you, Father, that you help us to um, stay in this place of, of grace. And uh, Lord, we just thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen.